Chapter 4 of Danny's Own Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dan Kaufman. Danny's Own Story by Don Marquis. Chapter 4. Well, the next morning I'm feeling considerable better and think maybe I'm going to live after all. I got up earlier than Hank did and slipped out without him seeing me and didn't go nigh the shop at all. For now I've licked Hank once, I figure he won't rest till he has wiped that disgrace out, and he won't care a dern what he picks up to do it with another. There was a crick about a hundred yards from our house in the woods, and I went over there and laid down and watched it run by. I laid awful still, thinking I wished I was away from that town. Pretty soon a squirrel comes down, sets on a log, and watches me. I throwed an acorn at him, and he scooted up a tree quicker and scat, and then I wished I hadn't scared him away, for it looked like he knowed I was in trouble. Pretty soon I takes a swim and comes out and lays there some more, spitting into the water and thinking, what shall I do now, and watching birds and things moving around, and ants working harder than ever I would again unless I got better pay for it, and these here tumblebugs kicking their loads along hind end too. After a while it is getting along toward noon and I'm feeling hungry, but I don't want to have no more trouble with Hank and I just lays there. I hear two men coming through the underbrush. I riz up on my elbow to look, and one of them was Dr. Kirby, and the other was Louie. Only Louie wasn't an engine this morning. They sets down on the roots of a big tree a little ways off with their backs toward me, and they ain't seen me. So naturally I listened to what they was jawing about. They was both kind of mad at the whole world, and at our town in particular, and some at each other too. The doctor, he says, I haven't had such rotten luck since I played the bloodhound in a Tom show. Were you ever an Uncle Tom's cabin artist, Louie? and adjusted the piece over an Iowa fined me five dollars for being on the street without a muzzle. Said it was a city ordinance. Talk about the gentle rube being an easy mark. If these country towns don't get wandering minstrels' money one way, they will another. It's your own fault, says Louis, kind of sour. I can't see it, says Dr. Kirby. How did I know all these apple knockers had been filled up with Sykes' magic remedy only two weeks ago? I may have been a spiritualistic medium in my time now and then, he says, and a mind reader too but I'm no prophet. I ain't talking about the business, Doc, and you know it, says Louie. We'd be all right and have our horses and wagon now if you'd only stuck to business and not got us into that poker game. Talk about suckers. Doc, for a man that has skinned as many of them as you have, you're the worst sucker yourself I ever saw. Doctor, he cusses the poker game in country towns and medicine shows and the whole creation and says he is so disgusted with life he guesses he'll go and be a preacher or bearded lady in a sideshow. But Louie, he don't cheer up none, he says. All right, Doc, but it's no use talking. You could talk all right, we all know that. The question is, how are we going to get our horses and wagon away from these rubes? I listened some more, and I seen them fellers was really into bad trouble. Dr. Kirby, he had got into a poker game at Smith's Palace Hotel the night before, right after the show. He had won from Jake Smith, which run it, and from the others. But shucks, it never made no difference what you won in that crowd. They had done Dr. Kirby and Louie like they'd always done a drummer or a stranger that come along into that town was fool enough to play poker with them. They wasn't a chance for an outsider. If the drummer lost, they would take his money and that would be all they was to it. But if the drummer got to winning good, someone would slip out in the hotel and tell C. Emery, which was the city marshal, and C. would get Ralph Scott that worked for Jake Smith in his library stable and pin a star into Ralph too, and they would be arrested for gambling. Only them that lived in our town would get away which C. and Ralph was always scared every time they'd done it. Then the drummer, or whoever it was, would be took to the calaboose and spend all night there. 
In the morning they would be took before Squire Matthews, that was justice of the peace. They would be fined a big fine, and he would get all the drummer had won, and all he had brung to town with him besides. Squire Matthews and Jake Smith and Windy Goodell and Mark Watson, which the two last was lawyers, was always playing that there game on drummers that was fool enough to play poker. Hank, he says, he bet they divided it up afterwards, though it was supposed them fines went to the town. Well, they played a pretty close game of poker in our little town. It was just like the doctor says to Louie. By George, he says, it is a wild perfect thing. If you lose, you lose, and if you win, you lose. Well, the doctor, he had started out winning the night before, and C. Emery and Ralph Scott had arrested them. And that morning, while I had been laying by the creek and the rest of the town was seeing the fun, they had been took afore Squire Matthews and fined $125 apiece. The doctor, he tells Squire Matthews, it is an outrage, and it ain't legal if tried in a bigger court, and they ain't that much money in the world, so far as he knows, and he won't pay it. But the squire, he says, the time has come to teach them traveling fakirs as is always running around the country with shows and electric belts and things that they got to stop draining that town of hard-earned money. And he has decided to make an example of them. The only two lawyers in town is Windy and Mart, which has been in the poker game their sales, the same as always. The doctor says the whole thing is a put-up job and he can't get the money. And he wouldn't if he could. And he'll lay in that town calaboose and rot the rest of his life and eat the town poor before he'll stand it. And the squire says he'll just take their hosses and wagon for collateral till they make up the rest of the two hundred and fifty dollars. And the hosses and wagon was now in the livery stable next to Smith's Palace Hotel, which Jake run that too. Well, I thinks to myself, it is a dern shame, and I felt sorry for them two fellers, for our town was just as good as stealing that property. And I felt kind of shame to belong to such a town too. And I thinks to myself, I'd like to help em out of that scrape. And then I seen how I could do it, and not get took up for it neither. So without thinking, all of a sudden I jumps up and says, Say, Dr. Kirby, I got a scheme. They jumps up too and they looks at me startled. Then the doctor kind of laughs and says, Why, it's the young blacksmith. Louie, he says, looking at me hard suspicious, What kind of scheme are you talking about? Why, says I, to get that outfit of yourn. You've been listening to us, says Louie. Louie's one of them quiet-looking fellows that never laugh much nor talk much. Louie, he never made fun of nobody, which the doctor was always doing, and I wouldn't have cared to make fun of Louie much either. Yes, I says, I've been laying here for quite a spell, and quite natural I listen to you as anyone else would have done. And maybe I can get that team and wagon of yarn without it costing you a cent. Well, they didn't know what to say. They asked me how, but I says, leave it all to me. Walk right along down this here creek, I says, till you get to where it comes out in the woods and runs across the road and under an iron bridge. That's about half a mile east. Just after the road crosses the bridge, it forks. Take that right fork and walk another half a mile, and you'll see a little yaller-painted schoolhouse. Sitting lonesome on a sand hill. They ain't no school in it now. You wait there for me, I says, for a couple of hours. After that, if I ain't there, you'll know I can't make it. But I think I'll make it. They looks at each other, and they looks at me. And then they go off a little place to talk low, and then the doctor says to me, Rube, he says, I don't know how you can work anything on us that hasn't been worked already. We got nothing more that we can lose. You go to it, Rube. And they started off. So I went over town. Jake Smith was sitting on the piazza in front of his hotel, chawing and spitting tobacco with his feet again the railing like he always done, and one of his eyes squinched up and his hat over the other one. Jake, I says, where's that there, doctor? Jake, he spits careful before he answered, and he pulled his long, scraggly mustache careful, and he squinched his eyes at me. Jake was a careful man in everything he done. I don't know, Danny, he says. Why? Well, I says, Hank sent me over to get that wagon and them hosses there and finish that job. That there wagon, says Jake, is in my barn, with C. Emery watching her, and she has got to stay there till the law lets her loose. 
I figured to myself Jake could use that team and wagon in his business, and was going to buy her cheap off in the town, what share of her he didn't figure he owned already. Why, Jake, I says, I hope they ain't been no trouble of no kind that has drugged the law into your barn. Well, Danny, he says, they has been a little trouble, but it's about over now, I guess, and that there outfit belongs to the town now. You don't say so, says I, surprised like. When I seen that man last night, it looked to me like they was too fine dressed, to be honest. I don't think they be, Danny, says Jake. Confidential, in my opinion, they is mighty bad customers, but they has got on the wrong side of the law now, and I guess they won't stay around here much longer. Well, says I, Hank will be glad. For what? asked Jake. Well, says I, because he got his pay in advance for that job, and now he don't have to finish it. They come along to our place about sundown yesterday, and we nailed a shoe on one hoss. There was a couple other hoofs needed fixing, and the tire on one of the hind wheels was beginning to rattle loose. I had noticed that loose tire when I was standing by the hind wheel the night before, and it came in handy now, so I goes on. Hank, he allowed he'd fix the whole thing for six bottles that engine medicine. Elmira has been ailing lately, and he wanted it for her. So they handed Hank out six bottles then and there. Huh, says Jake. So the job is all paid for, is it? Yes, says I, and I was expecting to do it myself. But now I guess I'll go fishing instead. They ain't no other job in the shop. I'll be dinged if you got time to fish, says Jake. I'm expecting maybe to buy that rig off the town myself when the law lets loose of it. So if the fixing is paid for, I want everything fixed. Jake says I kind of word like, I don't want to do it without the doctor says to go ahead. They ain't hisin no longer, says Jake. I don't know, says I, as you got any right to make me do it, Jake. It don't look to me like it's no harm to beat a couple of fellers like them out of their medicine, and I did want to go fishing this afternoon. But Jake was that careful and stingy, he'd try to skin a hoss twice if he died. He's bound to get that job done now. Danny, he says, you gotta do that work. It ain't honest not to. What a young feller like you just starting out of life wants to remember is to always be honest. Then, says Jake, squinching up his eyes, people trust you and you get a good chance to make money. Look at this here hotel and livery stable, Danny. Twenty years ago I didn't have no more than you got, Danny. But I always went by them mottos, hard work and being honest. You got to nail them shoes on, Danny, and fix that wheel. Well, all right, Jake, says I. If you feel that way about it, just give me a chaw of tobacco and come round and help me hitch him up. See, Emery was there asleep on a pile of straw guarding that property, but Ralph Scott wasn't around. See, so didn't wake up till we hitched him up. He says he will ride around to the shop with me, but Jake says, It's all right, see. I'll go over myself and fetch him back pretty soon. Which C was wore out with being up so late the night before and goes back to sleep again right off. Well, sir, they wasn't nothing went wrong. I drove slow through the village and passed our shop. Hate come to the door of it as I went past, but I hit them hosses a lick, and they broke into a right smart trot. Elmira, she come onto the porch, and I waved my hand at her. She put her hand up to her forehead to shut out the sun and just stared. She didn't know I was waving her farewell. Hank, he yelled something at me, but I never hearin what. I licked them hosses into a gallop and went around the turn of the road, and that's the last I ever seen or hearn of Hank or Elmira or that there little town. End of chapter 4 Recorded by Dan Kaufman www.myaclonicjerk.com Los Angeles, California, May 2012